Hey listeners, before we get to this article reading, I wanted to let you know that we just opened our annual user survey. Once a year for two weeks, we ask all of you, our podcast listeners, uh, article readers, advice receivers, and so on, to let us know how our work has helped or hurt you. You can find that survey at 80,000hours.org survey. 80,000 Hours now offers a whole lot of different services, and your feedback helps us figure out which programs to keep, uh, which to cut, and which to expand. The survey is pretty different this year, and among other changes, there's a new section covering the podcast, asking what kinds of episodes you liked the most and want to see more of, uh, what extra resources that we produce you actually use, uh, and some other questions as well. We're always especially interested to hear ways that our work has influenced what you plan to do with your life or career, whether that impact was positive, uh, neutral, or negative. That might mean a different focus in your existing job, or a decision to study something different, or maybe a choice to look for a completely new job. Alternatively, maybe you're now planning to volunteer somewhere, or donate more, or donate to a different organization than you would have otherwise. Every entry you write will be lovingly attended to by a team of expert survey readers from the Nepalese highlands, who will inscribe each submission in beautiful calligraphy, sing out what you've written from a cliff jutting out of the Himalayan mountains, and then ceremonially burn the paper in an ancient user-feedback-related ritual. Then, totally independently of that, they'll be carefully read by me and my colleagues as part of our upcoming annual review, and we'll decide on some things that 80,000 Hours should focus on or do differently next year. So please do take a moment to fill out the user survey. Those who do so will have forever won my love. You can find it at 80,000hours.org survey. All right, on with the show. Hi, listeners. This is the 80,000 Hours podcast. I'm Arden Kaler, and this is the latest in our series of audio articles. So far, they've been received pretty well. Today, I'm going to be doing a reading of a recent article, Global Issues Beyond 80,000 Hours' Current Priorities. At 80,000 Hours, we've generally focused on finding the most pressing issues and the best ways to address them. But even if an issue is the most pressing, in the sense of it being the highest impact thing for somebody to work on if they could do sort of equally well at anything, it might easily not be the best thing for a lot of people to work on, both because people have various talents and experience and because people have different temperaments. Plus, the more people are involved in a community, the more reason there is for them to spread out over different issues. There's going to be diminishing marginal returns as more people work on the same set of issues, and the value of information and the value of capacity building from exploring more areas will be greater if a greater number of people are able to take advantage of that work. We're also pretty uncertain about which problems are the highest impact things to work on, even for people who could do anything equally successfully. Or maybe there's some dark horse cause area, like research into surveillance, that will turn out to be way more important for improving the future than any of us have thought. So maybe for these reasons, maybe for others, when we asked our advisors how many people in the effective altruism community should be focusing on issues that are sort of outside the traditional, most highly prioritized issues in the effective altruism community, a lot of them said something like 5 to 20%. And we think we're pretty well below that fraction right now, actually. So we think if people want to explore more issues, that would actually be really great and Part of the point of this post is to give people some ideas for doing that. So before we get to the ideas, a quick word on sort of who's best suited to pursue these these problems. So pioneering a new problem from an effective altruism perspective seems really hard, really challenging, and maybe even harder than working in a priority area since there is less training and less infrastructure already set up. So it seems like it would require a lot of creativity, a lot of critical thinking about how you can actually best have a positive impact by working on that issue. And 
a lot of thinking about whether it really is a high priority issue that more people should follow you into working on. You might even end up needing to sort of create your own job in an area because the sort of work that is required to make progress on the issue just isn't being done by any existing organization or position. So the ideal person to explore one of the areas we're about to talk about would be self-motivated, creative, and willing to chart the waters for others, and also have a strong interest and relevant experience, you know, ideally, um, in one of these less explored areas. Okay, a word on the sort of bar for being included in this list. Basically, we compiled the list by combining suggestions from six advisors with our own ideas and judgment. And we were looking for issues that might be really promising for people to work on from a long-termist perspective that are currently neglected by people who are taking an effective altruist approach to doing good. If something was suggested twice, we took that as a strong presumption, but not guarantee of including it. We're pretty uncertain about the value of working on any one of these problems, but we think it's pretty likely that there are issues on these lists, and especially the first one, which I'm about to talk about, that are as pressing as our highest priority areas. In the article, we have sources listed for each area, blog posts, articles, books, where people are discussing the issues. And we don't always agree with, with, with what people say in those articles, but they are links to learn more to help get you started. So if you want to find any of those resources, head over to the written article, which is on the 80,000 Hours blog. Okay, here we go. First, potential highest priorities. So these are global issues that seem like they might be especially pressing from the perspective of improving the long-term future, and that they even have a chance of being as pressing for more people to work on as our priority problems. But we haven't investigated them enough to feel confident in that. And to give you a little context for that, I keep talking about our priority problems, so maybe I should say what they are. They are basically... AI safety and ensuring the beneficial use of artificial intelligence, biosecurity, and the prevention of catastrophic pandemics, building the effective altruism community and movement, global priorities research, so that's research into what kinds of issues are the most important, so sort of meta-cause area, improving institutional decision-making, and nuclear security and extreme risks from climate change. Okay, so... These are some problems that might be competitive with those in terms of how much good you can do by working to resolve them. First, great power conflict. A large and violent conflict between major powers like the US, Russia, or China could be basically the most devastating event to occur in human history and could result in billions of deaths. Plus, mistrust between major powers makes it harder for them to coordinate on arms control or to ensure the safe use of new technologies, like artificial intelligence. And in general, it seems plausible that existential risks are heightened in war between powerful nations. So there is considerable existing work in this area, but peacebuilding measures aren't always aimed at reducing the chance of the worst outcomes. We'd like to see a lot more research and work into how to reduce the chance of the most dangerous conflicts from breaking out, and to mitigate the damage that they would cause. We'd also like to see a lot more work on implementing those mitigation strategies. Global governance. It seems like international governing institutions might play a crucial role in our ability to navigate lots of different global challenges. So improving them has the potential to reduce risks of global catastrophes across a variety of areas. Plus, in the future, we might end up seeing the creation of new global institutions that could be really long-lasting, especially if the international community trends toward more cohesive governing bodies. And so getting these right could be extra important. 
The Biological Weapons Convention is an example of one way that institutions like the UN can help coordinate states to reduce global risks. But it also demonstrates the weaknesses of this approach, like underfunding and weak enforcement mechanisms. And we would love to see progress made on those weaknesses. There doesn't seem to be as much work focused on improving global governance as you might expect, especially work with an eye toward reducing global catastrophic risks. Although there isn't nothing, and we list a couple of sources in the article. We'd be excited to see more research on what kinds of governance reforms might be best for improving the long-run future. Governance of Outer Space It seems possible that humanity will, at some point, settle outer space. If it does, the sheer scale of the accessible universe makes what it does there extremely important. Currently, there is no agreement about how to decide what happens in space if settlement becomes possible. There's the Outer Space Treaty of 1967, which prohibits countries from claiming sovereignty over anything in space, but attempts to agree on more than that have failed to achieve any kind of consensus. Who ends up in control of resources in space seems like it will naturally shift how they are used, and it might influence vast numbers of lives. Plus, having agreements on how space is divided between groups could avoid a major conflict or harmful rush to claim resources, and instead sort of foster a sense of cooperation or compromise. So one concrete possible way things could go wrong is, like, one superpower might be alarmed about another superpower that finds itself on the verge of claiming and settling Mars— because they anticipate eventually being eclipsed economically and militarily. And then, of course, they get aggressive. Despite these enormous stakes, governance of space is an extremely niche area of study and advocacy. So major progress could probably be made by a research community focused on the issue, even just by applying familiar lessons from related fields in law or social science. It might be premature to work on this problem because actual space settlement appears so far off. But... While this is an important point, it doesn't seem decisive for a few reasons. First, legal arrangements like constitutions and international treaties are often sticky because they are difficult to renegotiate. Second, it may be easier to agree on fair processes for splitting up resources in space while settlement is far in the future, because it's harder for interest groups to foresee what sort of particular rules would benefit them in particular. Third, humanity might experience another industrial revolution in the next century, driven by AI or atomic scale manufacturing, in which case space settlement might begin a lot sooner than it seems likely to do today. Fourth, once settlement becomes possible, there will probably be a rush to agree on how to manage the process, and the more preparation has been done ahead of time, the better. Voting Reform Currently, we often elect our leaders with first-past-the-post-style voting, but theorists have known for a while that this easily leads to perverse outcomes. Better voting methods could make for better institutional decision-making, better governance in general, and better international coordination. But despite these benefits, ideas in this space often get little attention. One reason might be that the current political leaders, those with the most power to institute reforms, don't have a lot of incentive to change the systems that brought them into power. That might make this area particularly difficult to make progress on but we still think additional effort in this area could be promising. Aaron Hamlin's Center for Election Science is a great place to go to learn more about this. A sort of related issue is the systematic lack of representation of future generations' interests in policymaking. Future generations can't vote, so of course their interests get systematically ignored. 
One group trying to address this in the UK is the all-party parliamentary group for future generations. Voting security to prevent contested elections also likely falls into this sort of category. Improving individual reasoning or cognition. The case for improving individual reasoning or cognition is similar to the one for improving institutional decision-making, which we talk about in, in our problem profile on the topic. Basically, better reasoning and cognitive capacities just usually make for better outcomes, especially when problems are subtle or complex. And like with institutions, work on improving individual decision-making is likely to be helpful no matter what challenges the future throws up. So strategies for improving reasoning might include producing tools, trainings, or research into how to best make better forecasts or decisions, or just how to come up with sensible views on complex topics. And strategies for improving cognition might take a variety of forms, like researching safe and beneficial neurotropics. Although focusing on individuals seems like it's probably going to be less effective than taking an institutional approach for tackling global problems, it does seem like it could be promising if interventions can either influence large segments of the population or be targeted toward the most influential people. Global public goods. Lots of the biggest challenges we face have the character of global public goods problems, meaning everyone is worse off because no particular actors are properly incentivized to tackle the problem, and they instead prefer to free ride on the efforts of others. If we could make society better at providing public goods in general, we might be able to make progress on a lot of different challenges at once. One idea that we've discussed on the podcast, which seems to have promise, but also faces many challenges, is quadratic funding. But this space is huge, and it seems like there are tons of possible interventions. Another potential approach here is improving political processes. Governments have enormous power and are the bodies we most often turn to to tackle public goods problems. Shifting how this power is used even a little bit can have substantial and potentially long-lasting effects. And of course, shifting how governments get into power is a way of influencing public goods provision. If you want to try to tackle these issues, getting experience in advocacy or politics or studying economics could be useful first steps. Surveillance. We would like to see more research into balancing the risks and benefits of surveillance by states and other actors, especially as technological progress is likely to make surveillance on a mass scale easier and more affordable with time. Some people have argued that sophisticated surveillance techniques might be necessary to protect civilization from the risks posed by advancing technology with destructive capabilities, and I have in mind Nick Bostrom's article, The Vulnerable World Hypothesis. But at the same time, a lot of people have warned of the dangers that widespread surveillance poses not just to privacy, but to really valuable forms of political freedom. So because of these conflicts, it might be especially useful if we could develop ways of making surveillance more compatible with privacy and public oversight. Atomic-scale manufacturing. Both the risks and the benefits of advances in atomic-scale manufacturing seem like they could be really significant, and there's currently not a lot of effort into shaping its trajectory. However, there's also relatively little investment going into making this technology work right now, so that means it's not as urgent as it would be. Broadly promoting positive values. Okay, this is kind of, this is kind of a big bucket, but... Um, over human history, we've many times seen dominant groups give less consideration to the interests of others, often minorities in the society or people with less power. But over the last 300 years, campaigns for equal consideration for people of different genders and sexualities, people of different races, ethnicities and faiths, and people with disabilities have all made significant progress. 
These campaigns are obviously still works in progress, but they are also examples of moral circle expansion and suggest that positively shaping people's values is possible and that there could be promising opportunities to continue this progress in the future. If positive values like altruism or concern for those whose interests are often not considered, not just including members of the groups just mentioned, but also people from different countries, people from future generations, non-human animals, or even potential machine intelligences, if this kind of moral consideration were more widespread, this seems likely to help with a range of issues, including future problems that haven't even come up yet. It also seems possible that there could be ways that the values that are held by mainstream society today or in the near future could get locked in for a very long time, for example, in a constitution that's very long-lasting. And that would make it even more important that positive values became widespread before that happens. We're not really sure about the range of things that an impactful career aimed at promoting positive values might involve, but... One strategy would be to pursue a position that gives you a platform for advocacy. So be a journalist, a blogger, a podcaster, an academic, or a public intellectual. And then trying to use that position to speak and write about these ideas. Civilizational resilience. It seems possible that we could significantly increase the chance that if a catastrophe does happen, civilization will survive and get rebuilt. But measures in this space are really underdeveloped and receive very little attention today. S-risks. An S-risk, or suffering risk, is the risk of an outcome that is much worse than extinction, so perhaps horrible suffering for millions of years. Research to work out how to mitigate these kinds of risks is a subset of global priorities research, but it's not one that is as focused on right now, so it might be particularly neglected and important. Whole brain emulation. Whole brain emulation is a strategy for creating artificial intelligence by replicating the functionality of the brain in software. If it's successful, whole brain emulation could enable dramatic new forms of intelligence, in which case steering the development of this technology could be really crucial. Risks of stable totalitarianism. Brian Kaplan has written about the worry that stable totalitarianism could arise in the future, especially if we move toward a more unified world government. And we might do that in order to solve other global problems. Or if certain technologies like radical life extension or better surveillance technologies make it suddenly possible for totalitarian leaders to rule for much longer. Basically, we think much more research in this area would be really valuable. For example... I haven't seen much further analysis or testing of Kaplan's argument, and would love to see people building on it or critiquing it. It would also be amazing to see people working to limit the potential risks from these technologies and political changes if they do come about. Risks from malevolent actors. A blog post by David Altus and Tobias Bauman argues that when people with some or all of the so-called dark tetrad traits, that's psychopathy, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and sadism, when those people are in positions of power or influence, this really plausibly increases the risk of catastrophes that could influence the long-run future for the worse. So if we could develop better measures for these traits, as well as good tests for these measures, that could help us make our institutions less liable to be influenced by them. For instance, we could make non-malevolence a condition of holding political office or having sway over powerful new technologies. And while it's not really clear how large of a problem malevolent individuals are in society compared to other issues, there does seem to be historical precedent for malevolent actors coming to power. 
So Hitler, Stalin, and Mao all plausibly had strong dark tetrad traits. And perhaps this wouldn't have happened if there had been better precautions put in place. If that's right, this suggests that careful measures could prevent future bad events of a similar scale or even worse from taking place. Safeguarding liberal democracy. Liberal democracies seem like they are more conducive to intellectual progress and economic growth, at least than other forms of governance that have been tried so far, and also perhaps more conducive to peace and cooperation, at least with other democracies. So political developments that threaten to shift liberal democracies toward authoritarianism could be risk factors for a variety of disasters, like great power conflicts, as well as for society generally going in a more negative direction. A great deal of effort from political scientists, policymakers and politicians, historians and others already goes into understanding this situation and protecting and promoting liberal democracies. And at 80,000 hours, we're not really sure how to improve on this. That said, it seems likely that there are going to be some promising interventions in this area that are currently relatively neglected, like voting reform or improving election security in order to increase the efficacy and stability of democratic processes. And a variety of other work, like journalism or broadly promoting positive values, is also likely to indirectly contribute in this area. Recommender systems at top tech firms. The technology involved in recommender systems, so those are things like the algorithms used by Facebook and Google, might turn out to be really important for positively shaping progress in AI safety. And improving recommender systems might also help provide people with more accurate information and potentially improve the quality of our political discourse. So research into figuring out the relevance of these recommender systems for these different issues and trying to make them more aligned with benevolent goals seems potentially really useful. We might need to invest more now to spend enough later on future problems. It might be that the best opportunities for doing good from a long-termist perspective lie really far in the future, especially if resources can be successfully invested now to yield greater leverage later. We talk about this in our podcast with Phil Trammell. But right now, we don't really have any way of effectively and securely investing resources long-term. In particular, there aren't really any financial vehicles, at least none that we know of, that can be reasonably expected to persist for more than 100 years while also earning good investment returns and remaining secure. We're not sure in general how much people should be investing versus spending right now on the most promising causes, but it seems at least worthwhile to look more into how such philanthropic vehicles might get set up. If you're interested in this, Founders Pledge is trying to work on this issue and is actively seeking input. Okay, so that was the list of potential highest priorities. Next is other long-termist issues. We're also really interested in the following issues, but at this point, think that work on them is likely to be somewhat less effective for substantially improving the long-term future than work on the issues I was just talking about, at least all else equal. Economic growth. Speeding up economic growth doesn't seem as useful as more targeted ways of improving the future, and in general, we tend to favor differential technological and economic development. That said, speeding up growth might still have really large benefits, both for improving long-term welfare and even perhaps for reducing existential risks. We have a debate on the long-term value of economic growth in our episode with Tyler Cowen. The causes of growth already see a lot of research within economics, but this area is still more neglected than many other topics. Potential strategies for increasing growth that seem exciting to us include trade reform, which also has the potential to reduce conflict, land use reform, and increasing aid spending and effectiveness. A related field that might 
be similarly or perhaps even more promising to work on is progress studies. Progress studies investigates the causes of economic, technological, scientific, cultural, and organizational advancement. This is a relatively new discipline, so there might be more opportunities for additional people to make progress here that's really valuable than in traditional economics. Science policy and infrastructure. Scientific research has been an enormous driver of human welfare, but science policy and infrastructure are not always well designed to incentivize research that most benefits society in the long term. For example, at least we think that some scientific and technological developments can increase the risks of catastrophe, and if we had better institutional checks, we might be able to reduce those risks. On a more everyday level, scientific progress is often driven more by what is commercially valuable, interesting, or prestigious than by considerations of the long-run positive impact of the work. In general, we favor differential development in science and technology over indiscriminate progress, which better science policies or institutional design might help enable. This suggests that there is room for improving the systems shaping scientific research and for increasing their benefits going forward. We're particularly excited about the idea of people creating structures or incentives that push scientific research more in the positive directions and less in the risky directions. Harmful restrictions on migration. Reducing harmful restrictions on mi migration has the potential to greatly increase economic growth, intercultural understanding, and cosmopolitanism, as well as help migrants directly. But as we know, it also faces strong opposition, so this also carries with it political risk. Aging. Recent advances in the science of aging have made it seem more possible than it used to to radically slow the aging process and perhaps allow people to live much, much longer. If these efforts are successful, some people have argued that there would be positive long-run effects on society, as people would be led to think more in long-term ways and could keep working productively past retirement age, which could be beneficial for intellectual and economic growth. That said, the case for the long-term impact here is highly speculative, and many people think that more anti-aging research could be totally ineffective or even negative. Anti-aging research also might soon be able to draw substantial private investment, meaning it will be less neglected. But then, some people have also argued that that's a reason to work on it now, because it might just need some early success before it can sort of jump off and become a self-sustaining field. Improving Institutions to Promote Development Institutional quality seems to play a really big role in development, so if there were a way to make improvements to institutions in developing countries, this could be a really effective way to improve many people's lives. For example, legal and political changes in China seem to have been key to its economic development from the 80s onward. Keep in mind, however, that these efforts are often best pursued by citizens of the relevant countries, and there's also substantial disagreement about which institutions are best. Often the answers will also vary depending on a country's circumstances and culture. Space settlement and terraforming. Expanding to other planets could end up being one of the most consequential things humanity ever does. It could hugely increase the number of beings in the universe and might reduce the chance that we go extinct by allowing humans to survive deadly catastrophes on Earth. It could also have really dramatic negative consequences. For instance, if we fail to take into account the welfare of beings that we cause to exist in the process or if settlement turns out to increase the risk of eventual catastrophic conflict, which some people have argued. For these reasons, it seems like a really important area that deserves a lot more research and analysis. That said, independent space colonies are likely really far away, like centuries away, and it seems like there are more urgent challenges in the meantime. 
As a result, we think that right now resources are generally better used elsewhere. Still, there does seem to be a chance that in the long run, some research on the question of whether space settlement is likely to be good or bad and how good or bad could have significant positive impacts if done now. Lie detection technology. Lie detection technology might soon see very large improvements due to advances in machine learning or brain imaging. If that's right, this might have significant and sort of hard-to-predict effects in many areas of society, from criminal justice to international diplomacy. Better lie detection technology could improve cooperation and trust between groups by allowing people to prove that they're being honest in high-stakes scenarios. On the other hand, it might increase the stability of non-democratic regimes by helping them avoid hiring or remove anyone who isn't a true believer in the ideology. Wild Animal Welfare Wild animals are hugely numerous, and they often suffer greatly due to starvation, heat, parasitism, and a host of other issues. Almost nobody is working to figure out what, if anything, can be done to help them, or even which animals are likely to be suffering the most. Research on invertebrates might be especially important, as there is such an enormous number of them. It's also possible that because this idea is unintuitive and it challenges the idea that what is natural is by default good or innocuous, advocating for wild animal welfare could help us make moral progress. In particular, it might help set precedents for future work on digital sentience, which may end up being a really pressing issue in the future. Other global issues. Okay, so I've just discussed two categories of issues that seem relatively promising for more people to work on from a long-termist perspective. Now I want to turn to some more global issues that seem really important from a short or medium-term perspective, even if they're not as promising if what you're trying to improve is the very long-run future. We think work on the following issues might be as impactful as additional work focused on reducing the suffering of animals from factory farming or improving global health, which many people think are currently some of the most pressing issues facing us today. Mental health. Improving mental health seems like one of the most direct ways of making people better off, and there seem to be a lot of different promising areas for research and reform that haven't really been adequately explored, especially with regard to new drug therapies and improving mental health in the developing world. There's also some chance that, like economic growth, better mental health in a population could have positive indirect effects that accumulate over time, although it's not clear. Check out our podcast episode with Spencer Greenberg to learn more about that. Biomedical research and other basic science. Basic science research in general has had a large positive effect on the welfare of everyone historically. Major breakthroughs in biomedical research specifically could lead to people living much longer, happier lives. And if you worked in biomedical research, you might also be able to use your training to work on other problems that we've already discussed, like biosecurity or anti-aging research. Increasing access to pain relief in developing countries. Most people lack access to adequate pain relief, which leads to widespread suffering due to injuries, chronic health conditions, and disease. One natural approach is increasing access to cheap pain relief medications that are common in developed countries, but which are often not available in developing countries at all. Other risks from climate change. We talk about extreme risks from climate change, like severe warming and geopolitical risks, in our write-up on the area. But climate change also threatens to create many smaller problems or make other global problems worse. For example, maybe it'll make frictions between countries worse due to the movement of refugees. 
While compared to a lot of the other areas we've been talking about, climate change is not as neglected. We are very supportive of reducing carbon emissions through research, better technology, and sensible policy interventions. Finally, smoking in the developing world. Smoking takes an enormous toll on human health. It accounts for about 6% of all ill health globally, according to the best estimates. This is more than HIV and malaria combined. Despite this, smoking is actually on the rise in many developing countries as people are becoming richer and can afford to buy cigarettes. Possible approaches here include advocating for cigarette taxes or campaigns to discourage smoking, and possibly the development of e-cigarette technology. Okay, and that's it. That's our long list of other problems beyond 80,000 Hours' highest priority problem areas. I hope that was interesting. If you want to learn more about any of the issues discussed in this recording, you can go to the article on the 80,000 Hours blog and find links for each issue that should take you to readings, which hopefully can take you to other readings, and, you know, you can go from there. All right, thanks for listening.